Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. We are beginning today a brand new series called It's All About Jesus. And really the concept behind this series is two thoughts. First off, uh, you know, we're going into a, a season where it technically is all about Jesus, the Easter season. Um, but at the same same time, I, I believe that, that many of us, we get caught in Jesus just, just being a season instead of being all of our lives. And secondly, the concept's this. In this season where, where the truth is, is this, many of you um, are facing or you are about to face some of the most, challenging, the most challenging times that you're going to face possibly in your whole life. And, and really when I was thinking about what could I possibly say or give you um, that can get you through these times and that could possibly feed your you know, in, you know, that could feed your soul and give you sustenance. And what I believe the Holy Spirit told me, he said, give them Jesus. <laughs> give them Jesus. And really, frankly, that, that's why we're doing this, this series. It's all about Jesus. In Hebrews 12, the writer there, he encourages us. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus. And with this series, I'm praying that, that you would fix your eyes on Jesus. But what I wanna start off, off with today is, is Jesus' influence in so many different areas of our culture. The truth is this, you cannot escape Jesus' influence even if you tried. Consider this. Um, I know with the amount of people that we have watching today, there are so many different opinions of Jesus uh, and, and but but here's the thing: regardless of what you think about Jesus, you can't deny his influence. Let me give you a couple of things. Jesus never wrote a book, but the Library of Congress holds more books about Jesus, seventeen thousand, than any other historical figure. Roughly twice as many as Shakespeare, the runner-up. Uh, uh, one University of Chicago scholar estimated that more has been written about Jesus in the past or. Um, in the last 20 years than in the previous 19 centuries combined. Consider this, Jesus never ran for a political office, but more people have chosen him to be their leader than anyone else who has ever lived. Jesus was not formally educated, nor did he lecture in a classroom, but he has more students than anyone else has ever had. And let me share with you what some secular historians uh, and, and these are people that don't believe Jesus was God. Let me share with you what, what their uh, opinions of Jesus is. Of Jesus is. Uh, first one is Stephen Neal. He says this. He says, he who says Jesus also says history. Another secular historian, H.G. Wells, he says this. I am a historian. I am not a believer, but I must confess as a as a historian, that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. Another historian, Kenneth Scott 
letter it. He says this, as the centuries pass, the evidence is accumulating that measured by his effect on history, Jesus is the most influential life that has ever lived on this planet. Yale his, uh, a Yale historian, uh, man, these names are really hard for a stuttering guy. Jaroslav Pelikan, he said this, regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. If it were possible with some sort of super magnet to pull out of the history every scrap of metal, learning at least a trace of his name, how much would be left? Pastor Mark Driscoll said this in his book, Vintage Jesus. He said this, at first glance, Jesus's resume is rather simple. He never traveled more than a few hundred miles from his home. He never held a political office. He never wrote a book, never married, never had sex, never attended college, never visited a big city, and never won a poker tournament. Yet more songs have been sung to him, artwork created of him, and books written about him than anyone who has ever Lived. In fact, Jesus looms so large over human history that we actually measure our time by him. Our calendar is divided into the years before and after his birth. So think about it. You know your age based on the fact of when Jesus lived and when Jesus died. Jesus's effect on history is breathtaking. But at the same time, let me, let me tell you about Jesus's effect on people groups. Uh, uh, writer John, John Ortberg says this here. He says, children would be thought of differently because of Jesus. Historian o, his, historian o. M. Bach uh, wrote a study called When Children Became People, The Birth of Childhood in Early Christianity. He noted that in the, that in the ancient world, children did not get named until the eighth day or so. And up until that point, there was a chance that the infant would be killed or left to die of exposure, particularly if it was deformed or the unpreferred gender. Um, And this custom changed because of a group of people who remembered that they were followers of a man who said, let the little children come to me. Jesus never married, but his treatment of women led to the formation of a community that was so congenial to women that they would join in a record number. In fact, the church was disparaged by its opponents for precisely that reason. Jesus's teachings about sexuality would lead to the disillusion of a sexual double standard that was actually encoded in Roman law. Get this, Jesus never wrote a book, yet his call to love God with all of one's mind will lead to a community with such a reverence for learning that when the classical world was destroyed in what's sometimes called the dark age, that little community would preserve what was left of its learning. In time, that movement he started would give rise to libraries and guilds of learning. Eventually, Oxford and Cambridge and Harvard and Yale and virtually the entire Western system of education and scholarship would come because of Jesus's followers. The insistence on universal literacy would grow out of an understanding that this Jesus, who was himself a teacher, who highly praised truth, told his followers to enable every person in the world to learn. Orberg also says this, and it's in Jesus' name, the desperate people pray, grateful people worship, and angry people swear. From, from christenings to weddings to sick rooms to funerals, it is in Jesus' name that people are hatched, matched, patched, and dispatched. You can't escape the influence 
of Jesus, whether you are a Christ follower or not. Now, right, this is what you might say. Yeah, but John, look, this, this whole thing was luck. Maybe Jesus was just a sympathetic figure who happened to come along when Roman infrastructure was good and Greek philosophy was undermining the gods, when paganism was dying and social systems were collapsing, when stability was down and anxiety was up and gullibility was strong. And maybe it was just dumb luck. Maybe Jesus was just a kind, simple, innocent soul with a good mom and a knack for catchy sayings who showed up in the right place at the right time. You could also name him Jesus Gump. Jesus Gump. But maybe his place in history wasn't in accident. I propose to you today, it wasn't. And that today, you, you need him. If not now, I guarantee sometime in the future, you will find yourself in a place where you are wondering where you came from, why you're on this planet, and where you're going. And you will find yourself currently in this place or, or find yourself eventually in a place where you feel lost in life, wounded, and you need com- comfort, hungry, and, and, and you are hungry for something more beyond what you can see, taste, feel, and touch. You're, you're, you, you might find yourself in a place where your soul is thirsty, uh, um, you know, thirsty for something or someone that will quench your desire for purpose in your life. You might find yourself in a place longing for connection with somebody or something beyond you. You might find yourself in a place full of darkness or even in a place where your life just feels full of death. And the truth is this, Jesus came and made truth statements about himself. And what he would actually use is allegories to to describe who he came to be and what needs he came to meet in people's lives. And there was actually seven of them in the book of John. He said this, if you feel lost in life, he said this in John, in John 14, six, he said, I am the way. He said, if you are wounded and you need comfort and guidance, he said in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. If your soul is hungry for something real and true, he said this in John 6, 35, he said, I am the bread of life. He said, if your soul is thirsty and you need something to quench that desire for purpose in your life, in John 7, 37, he said this, I am the living water. He said, if your soul needs access to God, something or somebody beyond you. In John 10, seven, he said, I am the door. If your life is full of darkness, Jesus said in John 8, 12, he said, I am the light of the world. He said, if your life feels like you are full of death and darkness, in John eleven thirty five, 35, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. What Jesus was essentially saying is, hey, no matter what need it is, Jesus said, I am the one that came to meet you. Your greatest need meets his deepest purpose. And I don't believe that, that there's, like I said, starting off, that there's anything more that I could give you today, that I could say to you today, that, that I could actually offer you today that would honestly, sincerely believe what I believe you need for this moment than, than Jesus. 
It's Jesus. He offers himself as the way, the shepherd, the bread, the water, the door, the light and life that your soul needs. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said this here. He said, he, he gave this invitation. He said, hey, come unto me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, the thing is, this is the same thing everything else in the world offers you. Marketing is built on this, on this scripture verse here. It's like, hey, get money. You get money. You know, here's the thing, right? Money is shattered. Just come unto me and I'll give you rest. Relationships say, hey, come unto me and I'll give you just rest, right? Retirement, just, just come unto me and I'll give you rest. And I think what we've seen from, from, from what's happened in the past few weeks in our country, all of these things that offered us rest and offered us comfort and offered to take those burdens off are actually where actually saying they're not taking burdens off, they're actually putting more burdens on us. And here's the thing, right? Jesus's invitation, what he offers us is himself. I love what John Bloom here says. He says, the simplicity of Jesus's promise is both striking and refreshing. Jesus doesn't offer us a fourfold path to peace, giving enlightenment, like the Buddha did. He doesn't give us five pillars of peace through submission as Islam does, nor does he give us 10 ways to relieve your weariness, which, which us pragmatic, self-help-oriented 21st century Americans are so drawn to. Unique to anyone else in human history, Jesus simply offers us himself as the universal solution to all that burdens us. And that's what I offer you today. No matter where you're watching from, no matter what you're watching from, what I come to give you today is Jesus. Because I think what we've all learned in this cultural time moment is that we don't have as much control as we thought. We don't have as much influence and control as, as we thought that at any moment, at any second, at any moment, what, what we thought we were so assured of and affirmed in is gone. And what I think this is challenging us to do is to reevaluate what have we been building our life on and who have we been building our life on? Because the truth is this, it's not if you are building your life on somebody or something, but who or what are you building it on? And Jesus actually told this parable in Luke chapter six of two, of, two, of, of two builders, a wise builder and a foolish builder. And Jesus breaks it down here, Luke chapter six, verse 46 through 49. Why don't we check this out to, together? It says this here. It, it says, this is Jesus talking, and this is the paraphrased version, the message version. He says, why are you so polite with me? Like I said, this is Jesus talking. He says, why are you so polite with me? Always saying, yes, sir, and that's right, sir, but never doing a thing I tell you. These words I speak to you are not mere additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundation words, words to build a life on. Jesus said this, if you work the words if, if you work the words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who dug deep and laid the foundation of his house on bedrock. 
When the river burst its banks and crashed against the house, nothing could shake it. It was built to last. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you are like a dumb carpenter who built a house but skipped the foundation. When the swollen river came crashing in, it collapsed like a house of cards. It was a total loss. Now, Jesus here, he's, you know, it seems like he's being like, pretty harsh, but at, the, but at the same time, he's challenging people saying, look, what or who are you building your life on? Are you building your life on people and stuff, money, possessions, sig- significance, I- identity, and things like that on stuff that is temporary? And that's why he said, look, the dumb builder was, was the person that built their life on those things and when the storm came, y'all, let's just be honest, it's not if the storm comes, but when the storm comes. And here's the thing, when the storm comes, it's gonna reveal who or what you are building your life on. And Jesus says, if you wanna build your life on somebody or something secure that does not shake, that does not move, that is the same yesterday, today, and forever, to take Jesus and build your life on him because he gives you a security, a hope, a joy, and a peace that this that anything else in this life cannot give you. And I think these times are revealing that. Let me ask, ask you this. With everything going on, do you feel shaken right now? Do you feel like frazzled and shaken? And I would probably say most, most people do in some way, shape, and form. But at the same time, is it significantly like, like you feel down in your core shaken? Then honestly, what I think you have to challenge yourself with is, is this revealing who or what you've been building on? Is, 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 is what's going on revealing and showing the shaky foundation that, you've build, that you have been building your life on? And let me ask this, if you are a Christ follower and you are feeling shaken, I, and I mean, yes, I get the fact that we're trying to teach our kids when we're not teachers. I get the fact that like you could possibly lose your job. I, like, I get the fact practically that there are things shaking us, but is this shaking your soul? And if it is, I want to ask you why. Because if your life is being built on Jesus Christ and what Jesus said and what Jesus did, he died for sin, he rose and beat death, your soul should not be shaken. It might shake your bank account. It might shake your practical life schedule. It might shake your job, your job status. But what I'm telling you, Christ fathers, it should not shake the fact of the foundation is Jesus. The rock is Jesus. It should not shake us. Like I said last week, the four things that, that, I, that I need you to constantly remind yourself of every day. I've got it popping up on my phone 8 a.m. every single day. God is not surprised. We're gonna get through this together with God and with each other. The third thing, what was the third thing? Uh, uh, (laughs) I'm reminding myself because I don't remember it right now. The third thing is, oh, everything that happens in life is is the, the, okay, the purpose of, the purpose of our life is to become more like Jesus. So God, so God can take everything and make it work for your good. That's how you've got to view it. And fourthly, you win. My prayer is that if, you, if you're a Christ follower and you're feeling shaken right now, I pray that in God's grace, that this would be a moment that you can reevaluate who or what you're building on. And that you will say, do you know what? I gotta stop building on sand. And you'll switch and say, I'm gonna start building on the rock. 
Because y'all, the truth is this. Here's the thing, right? I've got friends like, you know, that'll kind of like say, John, Jesus is just a crutch. Like Jesus is just a crutch for emotionally weak people that just need a cosmic teddy bear to hold on to them when things get rough. And do you know what I say to them? I'm like, you're darn right I need a crutch. Like you are darn right. I don't, I, I need both crutches. I need a wheelchair. Like, yes, I need everything and all that Jesus gives and all that Jesus offers. Because the truth is, is, it's not if you have a crutch, it's what is your crutch? It's so funny. The people that, that will say Jesus is just a crutch, the thing is this, they're the same people going home and drinking themselves drunk just to escape reality. They're the same ones going and smoking themselves high just so they can numb the pain. They're the same ones eating themselves gluttonous. They're the, they're the same ones going from broken relationship to broken relationship because they themselves are broken and they're trying to use others to fix a brokenness that they themselves can't fix. Some people, they use work as a crutch. And you know what? I'm just gonna work, work, work. And they work themselves to death because they're fearful of never having enough. And, and, the, and the truth is some of you work so much, your family doesn't even like you because they see your drivenness and really it's an, it's an unhealthy, ungodly drivenness because deep down you feel like you'll never have enough and your crutch is work. Maybe your crutch is kind of like science and you're kind of like, you know what? If I can't, you know, if it's not proven, then you know what? I, I, I just, you know, if I can't see it, if I can't mathematically equate it, then you know what? You know, so, so science is your crutch. Yet at the, yet at the same time, you, you, you know, you wonder why inside you, you long to know why you are on this planet and you have realized that no matter how much you know or can deduct through mathematical equations and scientific discoveries, it can never answer the why am I on this planet question. Ever. Ever. Here's, here's what I want to invite you to do today. Christ followers and those that don't know Christ. I want to invite you to make Jesus your crutch today. Because Jesus said this, I came to be light, I came to be bread, I came to be water, I came to be light, I came to be the door, I came to be the life, I came to be exactly what you need. Matthew chapter 16, we're going to close, close here. Jesus, he takes his disciples, his good old Jewish boys, and he takes them to a town called Caesarea Philippi, which if I were to equate what Caesarea Philippi was like in today's world, um, I would probably say it would be more like Vegas. It was kind of like what happens in Caesarea Philippi stays in Caesarea Philippi. It was a place of uh, drastic sexual sin. Um, you know, just, just, uh, just not a place that good Jewish boys would go, right? It was like, you, you stay away from Caesarea Philippi because that is the place where bad things happen. And Jesus though, in Matthew 6, 16, the writer, Matthew, says Jesus takes his disciples there and takes them on this rock overlooking Caesarea Philippi and he asks them this question, who do you say I am? Who do you say 
I am. In the midst of all you see here, fellas, in the midst of all of this craziness you see, who do you say I am? And that, that question is a question today that I want you to wrestle with. That if Jesus, that if you were with him right, right now and Jesus looked into your eyes and Jesus looked into your eyes and said, who do you think I am? What would you tell him? With a good conscience. You, with you bring uh, truthful. The crazy thing, this question I've realized is, is not a question we just answer one time. That is a question that you will be asked and you have to answer in so many different seasons in life. Right, I think sometimes we think, well, you know, who do you say? Well, you're savior. Yeah, you know, I, I believe everyone needs to make that, that choice. And we're gonna give you that opportunity in a couple seconds here to say, do you know what, who do you say I am? I pray that today you would make him Lord of your life. But at the same time, I believe in different seasons of life, you've got to, to answer this question. When you go through seasons of suffering, you've got to wrestle with who do you say Jesus is? Because it's all great when life's great and awesome and yes, got my job, everything's good, you're Lord and Savior. And then whenever suffering happens, the question rears its ugly head again. Who do you say I am? When you have blessing, who do you say Jesus is? When you have stress and anxiety, who do you say Jesus is? With the coronavirus, who do we say Jesus is? And what, you know, and what Peter says here in response to him, or, or the disciples, they're, you know, they're kind of all saying, well, you know, you might be, you know, some people say you're John the Baptist, some people say you're this, and Jesus said, no, 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 who, you, I want you to, who do you say I am? And Peter, who was the first one to always respond, Peter said, I believe you're the Christ. And Jesus said, blessed are you for your eyes have been opened. And here's the thing, I sincerely believe today that with this season that you are probably in or going into today, that this is the question we've got to, what we've got to universally wrestle with and answer. Who do you say I am am? And I pray today that no matter where you're at, what you're walking through, that you would answer that. And possibly today your answer needs to be I need to make Jesus Lord. But, but possibly today you've already made Jesus Lord and you, but you're walking through a suffering season. You're walking through a season where the savior thing you call Jesus, you're questioning that now because you're walking through suffering and you're walking through trouble. And what I wanna challenge you today is Jesus never changed. Your circumstances changed, your, your situations changed, but Jesus never changed. And I pray your response to Jesus would never change either in this season. And that you would say, Jesus, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God. It's all about Jesus. What you need today is Jesus. What your soul needs, what your heart needs, what your focus needs, what your 
imagination needs in this season that we're about to walk in and that we're in in this craziness is I could give you self-help stuff, but you don't need that. You need Jesus. So how are you gonna respond today? Thank you again for joining us on the LifeHouse Newport News Podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchnn.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.